You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Learning to speak the gospel to ourselves. Now, you should, you should be asking a question if you just listen to the passage that we read and say, I don't understand why he would take us through this passage in order to learn to speak the gospel to ourselves. But the gospel doesn't even appear to be in this passage. I mean, why not go to something like 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day. I mean, Michael, that sounds like the gospel. Why not go there? Or maybe you might be thinking, I mean, why not go to a story where someone is at least speaking the gospel to themselves? Right? Psalm 42, David says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you within, within me in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. He is my salvation and my God. I mean, this, this passage, Jesus being baptized, it's not even about a man. It's about Jesus, God the Son. And He's not speaking to Himself. His Father is speaking to Him. How, how could this be the passage that we look at in order to learn how to speak the gospel to ourselves. Well, you guys are going to get a theology lesson along with a sermon. The good news is it's like a five-cent theology lesson. But there's two terms, there's two truths which are far more important that you need to know in order for this to make any sense being the place where we learn to speak the gospel to ourselves. And those truths are called imputation and union. Right, write those down, sneak that into a dinner conversation this week, it'll be fantastic. Your kids will be like, Mom, how was your day? And you were like, well, it was good. I imputed to some others some wonderful truth. Right? They're big words, but they're really simple and really beautiful terms. And they're b- beautiful truths. Uh, imputation qu- quite literally means to credit or to attribute something to someone. And typically, imputation deals with giving credit to someone that which they don't deserve. We find this in a couple different passages in the New Testament specifically. Romans 4-5 says this, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted, his faith is imputed as righteousness. For the one that doesn't work, but instead believes in Him, God, who justifies the ungodly, His faith is credited as righteousness. We find it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake, God made Him, Jesus, to be sin. He who knew no sin to be sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The the who of imputation is God. He credits to us. He gives us something that we do not deserve based on His grace and our faith that God gives to us. The who of imputation is God. The what of imputation is Christ's righteousness. Christ was given our sin. 
Christ was credited with our rebellion and bore our shame and guilt upon the cross, and He gave to us His righteousness, His obedience, His love, His service, His sacrifice, His commitment to the Father. We have been given, we have been credited the perfection of Jesus. Union is a truth or doctrine that is related. Union with Christ is a doctrine that's spoken about throughout the New Testament, and you typically are clued into it with the words, in Christ. Right? Scripture tells us we have been crucified with Christ. We have been buried with Christ. We have been baptized into Christ and his resurrection. We have been seated with him in the heavenly places. He dwells in our hearts. The church is his body. The Christ, Christ Jesus is in us. We are in him. The church is one flesh with him. The, the doctrine of union says that we You and I and Jesus, in light of his death, burial, and resurrection, in light of the gracious gift of saving faith that God has given to us, where once there was two, there is now one. Like a man and a woman who become one flesh, Jesus and me, Jesus and you are eternally, spiritually, bodily united. I need you to hear this. Without these two doctrines, Christianity is just another good set of rules. Without these two doctrines, you cannot get your arms around the gospel. Without understanding that you have been given Christ's righteousness. Like, hear this. You have been forgiven your sins, but that's not enough. You've also been given His perfection. And you have been united to him forever. And here's what this means. Here's the so what of the theology lesson so far. Because we have been given Christ's righteousness. And because we are united to him. When the father speaks to the son. When he relates to the son. When he makes promises to the son. He speaks to us. And he relates to us. And he makes promises to us. The gospel is the good news that what Christ has done has changed who we now are. And who we are is in Christ. And so in this passage, as the Father speaks to the Son about who He is, The Father speaks to us about who we now are. So let's look at what this message of good news, the gospel, is for us now in Christ Jesus. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately the heavens were tore open. The Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice, the voice of the Father, 
came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What is the gospel that we must preach to ourselves? Well, the first part is this. We belong to God. He says, this is my son. Let me give you a little bit of background about the baptism of Jesus. Right? You, you can tell because it's Mark chapter 1, but this is before the public ministry of Jesus. This is before the teaching, it's before the miracles, before the casting out of demons, the crucifixion, before any of that is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes to John the Baptist and is baptized not because he has any sins that he needs to repent of or any sins that he needs to be cleansed of, but in identifying with us, in him becoming one of us so that we might become him, he says, for all righteousness to be fulfilled, I will be baptized. After his baptism, For all to see, the sky breaks open. The Holy Spirit physically descends upon him like a dove, and the Father speaks. And he doesn't speak quietly. He doesn't whisper. He doesn't pull Jesus aside and say, hey, great job, listen, you're my beloved son, I'm pleased in you. For the world to hear, he yells in the most joyful way, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And he begins by saying to Jesus, you are mine. And I need you to step back from like our vantage point 2,000 years after the cross. Jesus is a nobody. He's a nobody from nowhere. When one of his disciples hears that the Messiah is from Nazareth, his response is literally, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He might as well have said, couldn't of Jesus have been from Mascuda? That would have been a way more prominent place to be from. He was a nobody. He had no formal education. He didn't come from what seemed to be a wealthy or royal family or lineage. He was born to a teenage mother in suspect conditions. He was a nobody until God Almighty broke the heavens open and declared for all to hear, This is my Son. The Father is saying that this seemingly lowly, unimpressive man is actually the magnificent, glorious, eternal God, the Son. He says to Jesus, you are mine, and he says to us, you are mine. And in some ways, it is even more shocking of a declaration than when he speaks it over Christ Jesus. Because we weren't just nobodies from nowhere. We weren't just humble and lowly. We were rebels and enemies. We were traitors, helpless to do anything about it. We were utterly opposed to God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were children of wrath, followers of Satan, and dead in our trespasses. 
Who wants that written in their high school yearbook? Right, like, oh, Michael, I remember you. And you were such a follower of Satan. I always thought you were dead in your trespasses. And you are a child of wrath. Or like, nobody wants to hear that. That's who we were. We weren't nobodies. We were somebodies to be despised. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago, I heard this story. Um, there, was, uh, there was a drunk driving accident, and uh, two young teenage girls uh, were, were killed. And it was a 21-year-old man that drove the car. And uh, he was tried, and he was rightly sentenced. He pled guilty, and he was incarcerated for a number of years. One of the moms of the young women eventually just feeling like something just needed to happen in her own life and heart went and visited this young man behind bars. And uh, she said later recounting, I I went there because I needed to forgive him for my sake. And as she got to talking to him and as she uh, found out, he would soon be up for his first chance at parole. But the common consensus was that without a word from the parents, he was going to remain behind bars. So she started visiting this young man again and again and again. And found out that he was really broken. And that this wasn't the first time that he drove drunk. And that it wasn't the first mistake that he'd made. But when the parole board meeting came up, she showed up. And she spoke to the judge on his behalf saying, I don't know if things have changed. I know that he is regretful and sorrowful. I still think he's broken and he needs help, but so do I. And so the judge released him on parole. And what would be an amazing story at that continued, the two of them began to travel around together speaking about the dangers of drinking and driving. But this young man also came from a really troubled family and really had no relationship with his family. And so now, He celebrates Christmas and Thanksgiving with that family, even while the daughter of that mother and father is not there to celebrate with them. I remembered hearing that story for the first time and not being able to compute what I was hearing. Not being able to understand how that could happen, not being able to understand how Someone would be, have the, the grace in order to enter into that situation. But this is what it means for you and I to be called sons and daughters of God. Like, I, I think I, I need you to hear this because Peter does this really clearly in Acts chapter 2. Our sin and rebellion is not theoretical. Peter tells the entirety of the Jews listening, you killed Jesus. And he was speaking to us. We murdered him. 
you think you like like I, I'm I get it. I've lied a couple times. I, I've been angry at my kids a couple times. No, 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 no. You have utterly opposed God Almighty and nailed His Son to the cross. And yet, now He says of us, you are mine. You belong to me. You're not alone anymore. You're not an orphan. You're not left twisting in the wind. You are mine. I have brought you in. I will protect you. I have claimed you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Like I need you to get your arms around this. Everything that God does for those who are in Christ Jesus, He does because we are His children. Every joy, celebration, and gift that we receive or enjoy, He gives to us because we are His children. Every moment of discipline, He only does because He loves us and we are His children. Every sorrow He allows us to walk through, He only allows in our life because He loves us and we are His children. We are belong to him we belong to him and so think about that passage that pastor brett read over us hebrews chapter 4 because we belong to him we now enter into his throne room the holiest place ever with boldness do you know who enters into the throne room of the king only his children Only his kids can come up to him, tap him on the knee, and say to him, Daddy, I want. Daddy, I need. We will never face this world. We will never face our sanctification. We will never again be alone in this world because we are his. The gospel is that we are His. And second, it's that He loves us. Jesus was not just legally or factually the Son of God. The Father says, you are my beloved Son. Literally, that word beloved means the one who is able to receive my love. The Father says to Jesus, you are my son and you are able to receive my love and affection. He says, I give you my love. God wasn't simply speaking what was true about Jesus. He was declaring for the world to hear his affection for Jesus. All relationships, all Even the best relationships that exist in this world are simply a shadow of the perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? When we say things like God is love, we say that because He is eternally three in one. Because eternally the Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. It is the best, most perfect 
most committed, superlative, ultimate epitome of all relationships is the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And it's our relationship too. Like what you desire from your spouse is actually to be loved the way the Son is loved by the Father. What you desire from your children is actually to be loved the way the Son is loved by the Father. What you desire of friends is actually to be loved the way the Son is loved by the Father. And you know why your spouse never loves you quite good enough? Why your kids never love you quite good enough? Why your friends never faithfully love you quite good enough? It's because they're not the Father. And so they can't love you like the Son. But in the Son, the love of the Father is now yours and mine. Like, we're love-obsessed as a culture. But what I love about this is that the most over-the-top, most committed, delighting, affectionate, passionate, desirous love that we will ever know is this love right here. It's the love of the Father when He looks at the Son and says, This is my beloved Like some of you guys were raised in the type of church that when I'm talking about this, you cringe a little bit, right? You're like, ooh, that guy feels like he's watched a few too many romantic comedies. Yeah, I have. Okay? It's just confession between me and you. It's for free. Right, but, but here's what I, I need you to hear, because theologians will do this too. They're like, man, the church, they, just, they, 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 they paint the love of the Father as this like puppy love, boyfriend love, kind of overly sugary, sweet, over-the-top love. And it is. Right, you don't believe me? Listen to the prophet Zephaniah, which is probably a prophet you don't listen to all that often. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. Okay, pause there. I feel good about that, right? God is with us. He is powerful. These feel like respectable, containable aspects of God. Except for the fact that he goes on. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult. He will exult over you with loud singing. We've got got a a couple videos of uh, plays or or, or kind of concerts or, or, or sports games of our kids. And of course, the video is focused on them. But there's this moment where either they have like a little teeny solo part that they sing out in or like they score a basket or whatever else. And then you hear the most awkward and semi-annoying sounds ever. The voice of a parent. 
right? And it's, 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 it's unconstrained. Like, it's 15 decibels too loud. No one is quite sure what they're saying, but what you know is they are loving this child. This is the love of the Father for Jesus, and it's the love of the Father for us. Take a moment and close your eyes. And I want you to think of a time when someone looked at you with utter joy and pleasure and love. Man, maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was just a really sweet moment with a friend. Maybe it was when you finally bought that video game for your child. Right, whatever it was, think of that moment. The face of utter joy, pleasure, and love. Now listen to me. That is the face of the Father towards you always. Always. You can open your eyes back up. This is personal for me because I struggle to believe it. But what would happen if we took all the longing for love and affection that we have and give to everyone else in our life and we simply gave it to the Father who promises to respond with love and affection beyond what we can imagine? What if our lives were based solely upon the love of the Father. I can tell you what would happen. We would be anchored so deeply that even suffering, sorrow, betrayal, and hurt could only move us so far because what it wouldn't remove is the love of the Father. Church, we are His. He loves us. And then finally, He likes us. I, I can possibly sometimes get my arms around the first two truths, but this one feels almost impossible for me. The Lord ends His declaration to the Son. You are my beloved Son with the words, With you I am well pleased. Literally, it means, I have assessed you, and I have found good. Right, one of my favorite movies of all time is A Knight's Tale. And uh, there's this great little saying in the, in the midst of it that they repeat over and over again. It's, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. You have been weighed you have been measured and you have been found wanting. And the Father says to the Son, you have been weighed. You have been measured. And I find you delightful. Sonship and love are all things that the Lord can choose to give to us. But this, this is a response. He, he looks at Jesus and His emotional 
visceral reaction is, I adore you. I like you. I find pleasure and joy in you. You know, for, for years, I have spent my life believing that God is shaking his head at me. And if I'm being honest, why wouldn't he? Right? He, he sees my failures. And so I assumed that he responds to my failures the way that I would. He, he sees all the things that I am not. And so I assumed that he would wish that I was more. He, he sees all of the things that I have done. And so why wouldn't he be angry or disappointed and wish that I hadn't done them? I lived my entire life, and honestly, I oftentimes still do believing that God wishes I was somebody else. That he has weighed me, that he has measured me, and that he has found me lacking. This final aspect of God is so important because you're going to be tempted to believe that, yes, God loves you, but he just doesn't like you very much, or that he loves and likes a future version of you, or that he likes you in spite of you, right? Which, if I'm just being honest, can we be honest? None of that is like Right? If my spouse showed up on our wedding day and looked at me and said, I want you to know I love you, and by you I mean what you'll eventually be so much. I hope if you ever go to a wedding like that, that you stand up, pick up your wedding gift, and leave. Save yourself a toaster. Right? Like, that's not what affection, desire, approval, or joy is. And that's not how the Father feels about us. I've said some crazy, over-the-top things as a preacher in order to try and accurately convey this as true. I don't need to say crazy things in order for it to be true because it is true. It's just so hard to believe. Everything in us says that I can be liked if I am. That I am valuable if I can do. That I should be affirmed if I am like. And the Father says, I like you. I love you. I am well pleased in you full stop not mad at you. He doesn't desire to give you another try. Right? He, he's not waiting for you to impress him. He is a father who likes you and delights in you. He calls you friend. He enjoys you. Like this, this is crazy, right? Am I the only one that struggles to get my arms around this? That's a lot of crickets. Thank you, Tony. 
Like, that's all right. I'll stand up here and I'll be honest about it. But if you guys have gotten your arms around, then you better come see me because I need your counseling. Because every other interaction that we have in our lives says you can be liked if you are the type of person that's likable. And you know what the bad part for me is? I find myself oftentimes not very likable. But he likes us because it's not based off of us. It's based off of Christ in us. And, and, and unless you think I'm, I'm, I'm making a distinction here where it's like, okay, so he likes Jesus and not me. Remember what I said about union? We are united to him forevermore. We are no longer too separate. We are in him. When he sees us, he sees Jesus. He sees us hidden in Christ Jesus, which means regardless of your actions, your performance, or what you bring to the table, the Father is well pleased in you and me. So, so think about the implication of that for a second. It means that that, that face that I just told you, that the, the Father looks at you with a face of joy and pleasure, it means that it will never again turn into disapproval, anger, or disappointment. Like God is not mad at you. Full stop. You want to give me an instance? Your worst moment? You know what I'm going to tell you? God is not mad at you. Full stop. Like, I won't go 12 rounds on a lot of the hot topics of the day. I'll go 12 rounds on that. In Christ Jesus, he likes you, approves of you, and delights in you. We are his. He loves us, and he likes us. This is true. And it will always be true. When your spouse confronts you with sin you've committed, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When you yell at your kid in a bad moment, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When you've lied to make yourself look better, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When others around you reject you or betray you, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When you are in the midst of sin and failure, he, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When you can't measure up, you are his, he loves you, and he likes you. When you simply can't believe it for yourself, you are his, he loves you, and He likes you. Church, if all we can do in light of Christ Jesus is preach a single sentence to ourselves day in and day out, then let it be the voice of our Heavenly Father that has been bought by the blood of Christ Jesus. He says to us, this is my beloved child in whom I am well 
pleased. May that be the truth our life is founded upon. Pray with me.